Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. We live in a sinful, fallen world. Sometimes things happen, right? And the Lord is gracious. And, and in Moses' day, he, as she's going to address it in a second, he permitted them divorce but for specific reasons. And it wasn't just a willy-nilly kind of deal of like, eh, you kind of fall out of love. Sure, you can get divorced. The Lord doesn't recognize those divorces, by the way. Divorces of irreconcilable differences, God doesn't recognize those. Divorce can be an extremely difficult situation. As you listen to today's message from Pastor James, he shares with you what the Bible has to say about divorce. God hates divorce, but there are times when it can be necessary especially if you're in an abusive situation. Pastor James encourages the church body to be gracious, kind, and empathetic to those who've gone through a divorce, while he also ensures to share the Lord's teachings on it. If you know someone who's gone through a divorce, pray for them. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark, chapter 10, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. We need bread for the broken, give some bread to the broken, we need hope. Chapter 10 of the Gospel of Mark, in verse 1, it says, And Jesus left Capernaum and went down to the region of Judea and into the area east of the Jordan River. Once again, crowds gathered around him, and as usual, he was teaching them. So just so you understand what's going on here, he is transitioning from the Galilee region down towards Jerusalem because Starting in chapter 9, essentially Jesus was leaving that area, closing up the ministry, so to speak, that he had for there for so long. Um, And now he is transitioning towards Jerusalem, and he is headed towards the cross, okay? So as he's journeying away from the Galilee region, he is making his way towards Jerusalem. He knows what lies ahead. But also, there are going to be barriers that that will present themselves as he is headed towards the cross. And a lot of those barriers, what we'll see throughout the, gospel, the rest of the Gospel of Mark, are really kind of traps, quote-unquote, from religious people, okay? Because now he's kind of coming into their home turf a little bit, right? And so now they really want to, like, his popularity is growing, and we got to figure out a way to trip this guy up so that he becomes less popular. Because everybody's focused on this Jesus guy and not on us. And that was a problem for these religious people back in the day. Hey, let me tell you, that's a problem for religious people today. They get mad because too many people are focused on Jesus and not them. And you're like, what is wrong with you? That's the goal. More Jesus, less you, okay? I, John the Baptist, no man was born greater, no greater man was born to a woman than John the Baptist. That's what Jesus said of him. And his whole philosophy was, I decrease so that he may increase. Pharisees' philosophy was, he decreases so that we can increase. A lot of modern-day churchy people, less Jesus, more me, okay? That's bad, bad philosophy, bad way to, bad way to be a Christian, quote-unquote Christian, I guess if you even are, bad way to minister. Should always be about Jesus, elevate Jesus, but that's not what we're dealing with. Right now, we have Pharisees who are like, we hate this guy, We're actually actively plotting and planning to murder this guy, but let's try to figure out ways to trip him up 
all along the way. Let's figure out a way to stop him. How are we going to get him? Let's talk about marriage. There's a, marriage was a controversy back then. Divorce, the subject of divorce was a, a major controversy back then. It was, a, it was a horrible problem back then. They were, I mean, there was, there was really kind of two different thoughts on divorce, and there was a more conservative thought on divorce, and there was a liberal thought on divorce. And one was like, you can't get divorced at all, except for maybe one reason. And the other one was like, well, man, dude, she burnt her breakfast. She's out of there. Or there was kind of a third one as well. It was like, or if you find somebody more attractive or who is actually your soulmate, ditch that one and pursue that one. Those were some allowances that were happening back in Jesus's day concerning marriage and divorce. And this is, so he's, he's going around, he, he left Capernaum, he's in the region of Judea, east of the Jordan River. Once again, the crowds are gathered around him, as verse one had said. One last little note on that, verse one, and as usual, he was teaching them. Here's what I love about Jesus. He always taught the crowds. What did he teach them? The word, the word. He always taught them the Bible. He always taught them the word. And it's his word. So yes, it is the Bible. But he, he never, he never uh, passed up an opportunity to teach the crowds what the word of God has to say. I love that. I pray that for myself, that that passion never wavers. I pray that for my friend David, as he's a pastor and preacher, that that passion for him, that he has to preach the word of God, never wavers and never diminishes. For you who maybe lead Bible studies and all that stuff, I pray that your passion and desire to teach and preach the word of God never wavers. Always show up. Always be ready. Always. Whether it's a crowd of one or 1,000, it does not matter. It doesn't matter. If they show up, you teach them. Teach them what the Bible says. Can't go wrong with that, okay? Verse two, some Pharisees came and tried to trap him. That's why I like the New Living Translation because some of the wording here is, is, is a little bit tricky, but that's why I'm, I was going to go with my ESV today, but it's like, I'm going to, some of the wording here is, it's a little bit clear from the New Living Translation. But it says that they try to trap him. Their whole intent in asking Jesus this question is, we gotta, we gotta trap him. We gotta figure out some way. And this, this was one of many questions that they would end up asking him, but this is a hot topic of the day. It says they wanted to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? Okay, that's a loaded question. Jesus, got a question for you. Yeah, what's up? Um, should a man be able to divorce his wife? And Jesus could have been like, well, you know, let's, uh, well, let's talk about, you know, divorce today and all this. That's not what he does. It's not what he does at all. Jesus's response to them, actually knowing that they are trying to trap him, he knows exactly how to handle this situation. So his answer, verse three to them, he answers them with the question, what did Moses say in the law about divorce? So he kind of throws it right back to them. He's like, well, what did Moses say in the law? And then they know the law. They know the law. So he knows that they're, they're already going to have this answer for it, right? Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. That's what we're going to quote back to him, right? Because God did allow divorce. He did allow divorce. And let me clarify some stuff. I grew up as a, in a, a family, a divorce family, okay? So the subject of divorce is a very personal one for me, okay? Very much so. 
I was convinced that I would never get married because I never wanted anybody to experience the pain that I went through through divorce, okay? So I, I come from a different perspective. I have never been divorced, but I grew up in a family that was, there was multiple divorces, multiple. Um, so I know the pain behind all that good stuff, and if somebody tells you that they don't experience pain or all that stuff, that's a lie. That's a lie. I don't care how old the kids are. Everybody experiences trauma and pain when their parents get divorced. Everybody does. I wasn't even old enough to remember my parents being married, and that had the most impact on my life all throughout my life, up until I was about 30-something years old when I finally dealt with it, okay? So divorce, it's a serious thing. It's a, it's a very serious thing, but I, I also want to make sure as we go through this, because it's a very touchy subject, I want to make sure that we, that we know too, because some of you guys have been divorced, and I need you to know what the Bible says about divorce. Divorce itself, divorce is not sin, okay? Now, that may be like, ah, sin causes divorce, okay? Because if divorce was sin, then why would God allow it? What other sin does he allow? You read through all the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, there, there are acceptable reasons to end a marriage covenant, okay? And if that divorce itself, because the problem is that churches have claimed that divorce itself is sin. And so there have been a lot of people that have been hurt and damaged by this because they got divorced, and now they're walking around like, that's almost like an unpardonable sin, and they're carrying that. And that's, that's sad because it's not true. It's not true. Sin leads to divorce, absolutely. Sin can be an afterproduct from divorce as well. We'll see that in the scriptures. But I want you to understand that the Lord, his intent in marriage, and that's why we read Genesis chapter 2, and we will go back to that because Jesus goes there. From the very beginning, the Lord's intent was that a man and a woman would be united as one and that that thing would last a lifetime, would last a lifetime. That's the intent of marriage. That's God's design. We live in a sinful, fallen world, and sometimes things happen, right? And, and the Lord is gracious, and, and in Moses' day, he, as she's going to address it in a second, he permitted them divorce, but for specific reasons. And it wasn't just a willy-nilly kind of deal of like, eh, you kind of fall out of love. Sure, you can get divorced. The Lord doesn't recognize those divorces. By the way, divorces of irreconcilable differences, God doesn't recognize those. There are divorces he does recognize. So we need to, like, marriage is a serious thing. It's an absolute serious thing. But the Lord is good and gracious, and he knows, because we have dear loved ones who are maybe caught up in very dangerous situations. If you're in a, if you're in a relationship with an abusive spouse, Please hear me. You need to get out of that relationship. And if a divorce is a result of that, that's not sin. That's not a sin. Okay? We, we need to, I think as church, we need to be able to make sure that we're talking openly and freely about some of this stuff and how we can come alongside people. Because I can promise you, there are people who show up in churches and they're sitting there and they feel so broken, so ashamed, because they did nothing wrong but we put a label on them, divorced. As if it's some like scarlet letter. It's like, well, why are they divorced? Husband was abusing them. 
Well, they should have just stuck around and worked it out. Really? Really? Maybe they did the right thing and got out of there. We don't champion those people, though, do we? We don't like to talk about these things because it's uncomfortable. And when you talk about them, the air sucks out of the room, and everybody's like, woohoo to, oh, gosh, um, what time is it? Oh, I think I got to go. I think I will run that Ironman race. No, look, we have to talk about these things because we got to know how to minister to one another. And our model is Jesus, who was so gracious and compassionate and would come alongside people and say, hey, look, I understand what you're going through. And I'm here to minister to your needs to help you out. There are wrong reasons to get divorced, and there are right reasons to get divorced. But so we don't mistake it. The, the goal, ultimately, from the beginning, was that people would get married and that they would stay married. It's a hard subject. This is a, it's, it, it is difficult. This was like, the, I mean, I, I don't know how many hours I put into this thing just because I was like, oh, I don't want to talk about divorce. I don't want to, because I know what it did for me. I, I know what it did for me. But I know we got to talk about these things. And we live in a world where, oh my goodness, if you pay any attention at all to celebrity stuff, you're like, well, divorce is just normal, right? I mean, those guys are swapping out spouses like every other week, right? That's what it seems like. No, they're not our model. The Word of God is our model, okay? And, and our goal in our marriages, and I hope you, if you're here and you're, you are married, that your marriage is like, you're, you're not settling for a good marriage, but your goal is a great marriage, and that you know that you have to work on that, and that nothing comes easy, and nothing comes natural, okay? You want a great marriage? That, that involves the supernatural. That involves the Holy Spirit working in two different people, so to speak, two or one, yes, I get it, but two distinct individuals as they are one united under, under, you know, as far as God's concerned, he sees you as two as one, but the Holy Spirit working in and through two individuals, man, and there's, they're both sinners. We're both sinners, but marriage should be the best thing ever. It should be the best thing ever. It should be awesome. It's amazing. I praise God that he created marriage. Man, you talk about one of the sweetest gifts to give to humanity. That's awesome. I appreciate it. Not all are called to be married, though, right? We know that. But I think it's great that God would, he would institute this thing. But he knows us. He knows that we have issues. And that's why, I mean, in this day, Jesus is addressing this. They, I mean, you had individuals where, like, the judicial court system, so to speak, was getting so bottlenecked with divorces then they started like mandating that fact that, well, okay, um, if let's say you don't like your wife anymore, or in some cases it was wives divorcing their husbands, that was happening as well. Um, all you had to do was say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you three times and that's enough. It's like Beetlejuice or something. You're like, what? Like, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. Like that's all you had to do and then your divorce was legal. And in, oftentimes in those instances, it was because they found somebody else. And let me tell you, in those instances, that's adultery. That's sin. That's sin. Okay? We'll talk about that. You're like, really? Can't we just get through this? Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to connect some dots here, people. That's all I'm trying to do. Um, he, so he points them back to, to Moses. 
And I do like that he points them back to not so much, well, it's Moses, but really back to the word of God. The Pharisees were so focused on divorce that they forgot God's design for marriage. And as he revealed it in his own word, right? So they're just, and sometimes that's what we do. We get so caught up in the, this thing. And you're like, well, but why not? Let's talk, about, let's talk about what God says about this in his word, okay? No, we're focused on divorce, 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 divorce. What about, let's just talk about marriage and how God created it and designed it. And that's what Jesus, he points them back there. And they, their reply to him, verse four, he says, well, he permitted it, they replied. He, he said, Moses said, a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away. So even within that, the ones who cited on the far left of the um, divorce debate, where it's like, well, you can just, uh, you know, just say it three times and that's good enough. Well, even you guys are breaking your, you know, the thing that you hold fast to, which is supposedly the law. And Moses himself said, yeah, there are instances for divorce, but you have to write your spouse this letter. And really that was a letter protecting, especially for the women, it was protecting them. It was, it was meant to, to be, serve as a protection from them. It's also meant to like kind of squash the, the kind of like the, the rush into things, right? You know, you get like, you're getting a heated argument. You're like, oh, I'm just, I'm done. You sit down and you write this letter and you're like, well, maybe I'm not done right? You know, okay, maybe I should work this out. Yeah, you should always try to work it out. You should always try to work it out. But that was what Moses had commanded the children of Israel. You have to write them this letter and then, and you can issue that. But that didn't keep, if let's say it was the woman who received the letter, she was still allowed to remarry. She would be allowed to remarry. And there's other teachings, especially more recent teachings, where if you were divorced, if you did get divorced, you cannot get remarried because if you get remarried, then you're committing adultery. Okay? That's not true. Okay? It's not technically true. That's not, Jesus didn't really ever say that, but we'll, we'll look at where that confusion comes into. But there's an idea of like, well, once you send a woman away, then she would probably never get remarried. Now, unfortunately, sometimes guys wouldn't want to marry somebody who had already been married. And that's, that's unfortunate. That's, that's a sad reality. But that wasn't always the case. But this letter was meant to serve as like kind of a protection for the divorcee. Jesus responds back to them. He, Moses, wrote this commandment only as a concession to your hard hearts, okay? He was just addressing, really, I mean, he's giving you this as, because those individuals that were requesting that, that were ultimately kind of demanding that, their hearts were so hard. Their hearts were hard. Verse six, but however, God made them, and this is where he takes them back into the beginning. God made them male and female. God made them male and female, Adam and Eve, from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother. Sorry, mama's boys, but you've got to leave mama, okay? And is joined to his wife. Joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. The two become one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. And so Jesus is like, well, what did Moses say? Well, Moses said this. Yeah, he said that because you guys are so hard-hearted. You guys are so callous. You're, you're so callous. Ultimately, what he's saying there too is like, you are so selfish. 
You are so incredibly selfish. That you, I mean, most of these guys, the ones who are asking the, those questions were the ones who are looking for ways out. And you should never enter into a marriage relationship with the idea of what's my escape route. You enter into a marriage covenant agreement, not contract, but covenant agreement with like, I'm in this for life. I'm not looking for my way out. In fact, Nellie and I were counseled early on in our marriage that divorce is not even a part of your vocabulary. We don't, I don't focus, I don't ever focus on divorce. Never. Why? Because I'm working to have an awesome marriage. That's what I'm working for. Well, issues come. Issues have, I've been, we've been married for 21 years. We've had our fair share of difficulties. There have been rough waters that we have navigated through, and the Lord Jesus was faithful to us and has gotten us through those things. Every marriage experiences these things. But it's a lot easier to get through some of those storms when divorce is not on the table. Now, again, I'm not speaking to those instances where divorce maybe is necessary. I'm talking about just marriages where, man, sometimes your passion and desire for one another is strong, and then it wanes over time. And then you start thinking like, well, am I even really in love with this person anymore and all that stuff? Well, you get to work. Get to work. Rediscover that thing. If the fire's gone out, we'll put some more wood on it and stoke that fire. Like, work on it. What do you expect? Have you ever been camping? You build a campfire? It starts off pretty awesome, right? I mean, the, the flames are reaching to the sky. What happens if you don't tend to the fire? It goes out. It goes out. Same concept applies in marriage. But yet, we have this thing in our brains where it's like, we get married, the, the emotions and the passion, it's strong, it's heavy. I mean, it's just like natural. It's just a natural outflowing, and we finish each, each other's sandwiches or sentences or whatever, right? It's like, okay. But anybody who's been married for a certain length of time is like, let's just wait. They call it a honeymoon season for a reason, Right? The sad thing is, is that that wanes off and we never address it. And we just assume that this is what marriage life is. This is reality. But it doesn't have to be that way. And then for some people, I mean, it just continues to simmer out and simmer out. And then we let our guards down. And maybe those, want, those boundaries that we maybe once had in place within our life, we begin to lower those fences, so to speak. And then somebody comes into our lives, and they conversate with us. And then these emotions, these feeling things start to happen again. It's like, oh, I remember what that was like that many years ago with my spouse. And then it's like, well, maybe, maybe this is done, and maybe this is the new thing. And then people will pursue that new thing because it's rekindled it's a different kind of fire. I would tell you this, it, that's a fire that will kill you. And that's a fire that will not only kill you, but it will kill everybody who's attached to you. Don't go looking for some strange fire. Just because somebody gives you the feels doesn't mean that they're the one for you, okay? You figure out how you get back together and you reconnect with that spouse and say, hey, how do we get this thing burning again? What do we need to do? Maybe we need to clean out some ashes. Maybe we just need to have a heart-to-heart. And there needs to be some repentance and some forgiveness that needs to take place. Hope to the hopeless hope.
Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. We're walking through the Gospel of Mark, one of the accounts of Jesus' life while he was here on the earth. Mark offers unique perspectives on this time, emphasizing Jesus' servanthood to the people that he met. Jesus loved practically, often, and with everyone. What a kind and humble servant we get to serve. If you need to hear this message again or you'd like to catch up on previous teachings, visit our website at breadforthebroken.com. Once you're there, simply click on the Listen tab and feel free to explore the variety of verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter Bible teachings. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston. And if you're ever in the Galveston area, we would love to have you come visit us. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. for a time of worship and Bible study. Our Thursday night Bible study starts at 7 p.m., and you're welcome to come join us for both. Our atmosphere at Calvary Galveston is relaxed, so feel free to come just as you are. For more information, visit our website. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. You can get directions there as well. We're excited to meet you and spend some time worshiping with you. That's all the time that we have for today, but we're so glad that you listened in to hear from God's Word. We encourage you to read ahead in the book of Mark and to gear up for what's ahead in this New Testament book. There's so much to learn, so much to know about Jesus. So make plans to join us again, right here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.